0: Last night, I had an opportunity to chat with my childhood friend, Jonathan Kaufman. His consulting company, Third Plateau, works for -for not-for-profits, foundations, uh, various government entities to help them with fundraising strategy, and this conversation really dives deeply into what coronavirus uh, will mean for a range of clients in this sector, which really dovetails a lot with what I do and what my clients do. Um, it's a longer pod, and if this is something that interests you, if this is your world, I really encourage you to listen to the whole thing. Um, he has some very wise words and some hope for what we may see at the end of this crisis. So enjoy and be safe out there. It's it's getting It's getting strange. And one last note, the new music you hear is from a old friend of mine named Matthias De Wild. He's based out of Belgium, but we met at the Copacabana in Rio back in 2014. He's a jazz musician and composer and was very, very generous to start offering some alternatives to the Piano playing that had been my interstitial music before. So, if you have any interest in learning more about his work, uh, I'll put it in the show notes and or drop me a line, and I'll put you in touch. So, enjoy. Hello, Jonathan Coffin. How you doing, buddy? I'm holding in there. Yourself.
1: Those are, are interesting times you live in.
0: They they certainly are. Tell me about the conversations you had with your clients today.
1: Uh, it was actually all internal today.
0: It was um, all internal.
1: Was, uh, yeah, I was talking to my two business partners and figuring out what to expect and how to navigate this. We are, um, you know, we actually have not seen a single negative financial impact on the firm yet, but the writing's on the wall. Yep. We're, we're seeing projects, uh, we're expecting projects to get delayed, we're expecting some projects to get canceled, I'm sure. Um, and I think uh, the idea of new projects coming in the door is gonna be uh, few and far between for a while. Well, so, you, uh, I mean, y- 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 you're not alone,
0: and I think we kind of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I think... Please continue.
1: Yeah, we're, I, we're really fortunate uh, for a lot of reasons on this. Um, and that I think we're, you know, unlike, a, um, you know, unlike being a, you know, an event based auctioneer or yep. being like a catering company or being things that require gatherings to, for it to function. Um, the vast majority of our work happens already online. Yeah. Um, and the, the in-person stuff, like we, we very intentionally built a consulting firm that didn't use the model where you you know, you're on site with a client all the time. Yeah. You don't fly out every Monday morning and back every Thursday night. Like, oh, six <laughs> month engagement. At six month engagement, I see my clients like maybe three times total. Um, so that stuff's not that interrupted. It's just they're all distracted. Um, and they're nervous about where their money is going to come from. Um, as they watch the market tank and foundation endowments shrink. Well, I think, I think I right think we uh, thinking about. I, I think
0: we buried the lead here a little bit. Let's back up and talk a little bit about what Third Plateau does.
1: Sure. So we're a consulting firm um, that works ex- uh, exclusively with social impact organizations. So most of the time, that's nonprofits uh, and foundations. Sometimes that's uh, government entities. Every once in a while, it's a for-profit company that's trying to do something meaningful in their community. Um, and it, we're a strategy firm. Um, so it it often looks, sort of takes three forms. One of them is uh, sort of the, the strategic planning side of work. Um, you know, what is an organization currently doing? What do they want to do? And how do they bridge the gap between those two? You know, maybe it's expanding to new territory or growing into a new, um, you know, deepening a Uh, deepening a program that serves some population. Um, That's one arm. arm, And the second arm is around philanthropic management. So how do we help uh, people and organizations with means give their money more strategically and manage their money more strategically? And then the third arm is around leadership development. How do you take the individuals on both sides of that aisle and make sure that they're fully equipped to do what they can do? It, it,
0: that, that's awesome, in that And is there an example which you can kind of take me through from how you got the client in the first place? You know, the, the first contact uh, through maybe one, two, or three of those different parts of your business, um, and then
1: sure. yeah, I mean, and, I'll just sort of each one of them,
0: and, and then we can kind of see it through that lens, um, just how just how impactful and um, destructive
1: Corona is going to be for you. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate the optimism there. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, the first, uh, so start with the first one of the, the strategic planning side. So, um, I'll, I'll use some specific examples here. So we got hired, one of our clients, um, San Francisco unified school district. Um, they have a, there's about 57,000 students in their district mm-hmm. and it, it's, San Francisco, it's California. They want to be a hotbed of creativity and art. And they have this, they've had a massive plan around arts education uh, for the last 12 years. And what they realized in, in executing their plan was it did a really, really good job of getting uh, rich white kids better arts and, and uh, culture programming, And didn't really speak to a lot of the um, communities of color and the marginalized communities in San Francisco. So we got brought in to help them evaluate their current arts education programming, um, identify in partnership with their community what's actually needed, and then figure out how they can start to shift and reorganize themselves in both structure, processes, and curriculum to better engage the communities of color and the communities that have been left behind, and realizing these are actually the kids who are going to benefit the most from arts education, um, and that it teaches creativity and resilience. and uh, one of the best things I ever got told in this space was you've got a, a kid who's growing up in a poor community, not a lot of opportunity, and you want them to be able to, like, have a better life. They don't see that life in front of them. And you have to be able to get them to imagine what they haven't seen before. Um, and that requires education to get kids to to dream bigger. Um, I love I that. And so we worked with them. Yeah, it was fantastic. So we worked with them for about 18 months um, to identify where those opportunities were, um, start to build the buy-in uh, among their team and among the teachers, among the students and the families, and all the community partners, um, to actually start to, to think about arts education in a different way in that district. Um, so that's a good example, I think, of a, um, a strategic planning type of client we get. On the philanthropic management, um, it can look a few different ways, um, but working with a, I'm probably gonna avoid using specific names on of this course. Um, these ones all tend to be, uh, stay on clients at this side, Of course. um, but working with, uh, uh, you know, a woman who's got, uh, pretty significant wealth, um, that, uh, you know, she inherited quite a bit of wealth and then through her own endeavors, uh, extended on that wealth pretty significantly. And she wanted to engage the rest of her family, um, to sort of co-own this wealth and engage in the philanthropic side of it. So we worked with her for the last several years to work with, uh, you know, bring her family in, help educate them all about how philanthropy works and what's effective and what's not. Uh, find out what they're interested in and what's the social change they want to see. And helping them really push um, and think critically about what that can, what that can look like. Um, and then working with them to uh, both help manage their actual funds got um, CPAs and accountants and all the back office support on our team so you don't have to worry about that side of it.
0: Makes a difference. It makes a big difference.
1: And, uh, and then also actually navigating a lot of the relationships with the nonprofits they wanted to support, helping them find nonprofits that align with the type of social change that they wanted to see, and building really collaborative relationships and not um, hierarchical relationships that you, you tend to see you know maybe 10 years ago in the philanthropy space. I'm, I'm fully um, aware. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, you are. Um, and then the third arm is leadership development, which is, um, so let's use San Francisco Unified as an example, working with the person who's going to have to oversee all of this change and actually having a, a series of one-on-one coaching sessions with them um, over the course of maybe six months, um, helping them understand and process what they're feeling, what they're experiencing, um, You know, where are they thriving, where are they not, where are their blind spots, and helping them really develop as an individual leader, so that when it comes time to implementing this new plan, they're fully equipped and emotionally and psychologically ready to actually go do it.
0: And, and you know, with those three elements, do you see an opportunity, you know, with the approaching Corona for, for you to, you know, build on the advice you've been given for the strategy, the consulting you've been given, in saying, hey we're here for you. Um, we're figuring this out alongside with you, but we're dedicated to whether it's the strategy, whether it's the philanthropic engagement or whether it's the, the leadership training, uh, are there opportunities?
1: Yeah. There? I, so I'm, I'm, uh, you've known me for a long time. I've been, I'm an eternal optimist. I, I am not a doomsday scenario person. I tend to not take things, um, super seriously and tend to find opportunity and, Bizarre places. but I actually think there's some really exciting things on all three of those levels, right? On the, the strategic planning side, it's a, okay, we've got, you know, we do a lot of convenings, um, as part of our work. Um, it's not the anchor in the same way that it maybe is for, you know, for you or for, um, like truly event based organizations, but we do a lot of it and we're helping them move a lot of this online. Right, the idea of, like, we want people to connect, but um, there's other creative ways to do this. And we're helping them break down the barrier between um, or sort of blend what's something, you know physical convening and a virtual convening. But there's ways to blend the best of both of those to have a really unique experience and acknowledge we're at a really bizarre time right now. And we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't assume that we're not. We should lean into the fact that we are. So a couple of specific examples. We've got a convening... Uh, uh, last week, seventy people—not huge. Seventy people. We had initially had, uh, you know, we were going to have a, an event and all of this food and all of this other stuff there. Well, we were able to get out of those contracts, most of them at least. Um, and so instead, everybody's in their own community. And we told everybody, go get coffee and a pastry, bring it to the computer. <laughs> like, you know, everyone's working Bring it, bring it to the computer. Show, like, actually have it there. Don't finish it before the meeting. Have it there. Send in your receipts, and we'll reimburse you for all of it. Interesting. Similarly, in the afternoon, everybody took a 20-minute break and went to their corner stores and got a beer and brought it back, and we all had a beer together at the end of the day. That's
0: fantastic. And um, and so were you meeting in person, uh, or was this thing conducted online?
1: Every single person was on their own computer in very different cities all over the country.
0: Interesting. It was a-
1: entirely a- remote convening. It was supposed to everybody to be together in New York, and that clearly wasn't going to happen anymore.
0: No, it's, 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 it
1: certainly wasn't. And what technology yeah. did you use for that? So we've, we've been relying very heavily on Zoom. Okay. Um, they're they're going to be, you know, I don't really believe in a pandemic profiteering, but Zoom, Zoom is going to do pretty well in the next, uh, this year. This is not going to be a bad year for them. <laughs> Um, you know along with netflix and hulu plus and everything else like it's certainly they are well equipped they're well equipped for the life that we are all now finding ourselves in
0: and you know from that convening of 70 people via zoom uh were there any
1: surprises um i don't know if there are surprises i think i mean it's Everybody's aware that we're, you know, we're all in uncharted territory here yeah. and we're figuring things out as we go. But everybody's been very patient and tolerant and aware of this. And this is the joy of getting to do the work that we do of it's all people based. Yeah. And so, you know, we, the, we have a, a very small ratio of assholes that we have to work with. It's Most people tend to be phenomenally good people that are patient and relationship driven. And um, and so they People are willing to be really flexible and creative, and they're are excited. They still get to do some of this work. Um, you know, it's really hard and it's really stressful, um, which is actually where I think a lot of the leadership development is going to start to change as a result of this, at least in the short term. Um, let's, you know, so let's 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 skip ahead people, to that.
0: Uh, you know, yeah, where can you can you unpack um, yeah. the changes that you see in leadership?
1: So the biggest. You know, most of the time, those conversations, they're always with executive directors or you know, CEOs of these nonprofits or, or agencies. Uh, and it's often questions like things that we're helping them explore. How do they better, you know, how do they better engage their staff? Um, how do they better engage their board of directors? Um, how do they start to communicate some really difficult information across their team? How do they deal with the um, p- the imposter syndrome that everybody has to wrestle mm-hmm. with of, you know, what, what? why are they the person that's in charge of all of this? Like, why do, <laughs> what, you know, what in the world makes them feel like they're qualified to do this? And the reality is nothing more than anybody else, but you're there. So let's do this.
0: Yeah. I have the opposite um, of that. I have entitled syndrome. I'm I'm always surprised <laughs> when, enough. uh, well, well, you know, whatever, whatever the opposite of imposter syndrome
1: is. So they, um, you know, those conversations are going to really start to shift to, like The conversations that we're gonna have now are around people are terrified about how they're gonna meet their fundraising goals. Mm-hmm. People are gonna to have to lay off employees. They're gonna to have to downsize and cut back on other things. Yeah. And how they, how they navigate through that, it's the coaching and the leadership development work we do is, um, it's often one of the rare times that a person at the very, very top feels like they have a genuine thought partner and someone they can be fully vulnerable with who understands the nuance of the situation they're in. Um, And I have a feeling coronavirus is going to take over those conversations for the next six to nine months.
0: I mean, just the difficult internal conversations you had with your own team today are going to better prepare you to have those leadership conversations with folks that are having um, limited perspectives on or, 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 or limited uh, trajectories for the work that they're trying to accomplish.
1: Unfortunately, that's phenomenally accurate. And true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the weird, these are weird times. These it, are weird times, the the one that I'm not sure yet how it's going to start to impact, but it absolutely will is on the philanthropic management I where know. we're watching endowments just dry up. This market has been absolutely insane. Uh, and when you're a foundation and you're giving out, you know, five percent of your endowment, that's great when the market's been what it's been for the last several years.
0: Yeah, because um, all of a
1: sudden you're watching that number just tank. Ugh. Um, and you think about all the places that are reliant on those foundations to to make ends meet. And these are not you know, we don't think of this as like, okay, budget's gotta get met. You're thinking of, okay, there's a population of homeless people in Sacramento that is relying on these foundations to do this or you know there are school kids in New York City that need to make sure that they're getting the after school support because they don't have a place to go, and there's that. It go on and on and on and on, and it's um, it's really tough to navigate the impact to not just to the nonprofits, but to the people the nonprofits are serving. That somewhere something's going to have to give. Either they're not going to get as good a service, or fewer of them are going to get it, or probably both. So, um, and I think we're going to see a lot of nonprofits starting to fold up shop and start to hopefully actually merge with one another. Interesting. Um, and find ways to collaborate. And
0: can you? This is always something that I found a bit bewildering. But I work in with so many not-for-profits that overlap with others that I work with, and uh, you know the Venn diagram on many of them is is. It's it's never exactly one circle on top of another, but sometimes it's often yeah. those. And what what can not for profits do to merch? Like, I mean, it, can you can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm yeah, I'm getting yeah. tongue tied even just trying to uh, to think through it. Because I get
1: so frustrated sometimes. It's really frustrating, and it's frustrating because it's um, it's ego. Yeah. Like it certainly people, is. It's, people have an idea. Of something, you know, they see something in their world and they want to see it better. And their instinct is, I can solve that. And it all comes from a good place. Yes. But it's a, it's a, I, it, I genuinely believe it all comes from a good place. And yet, they never, if they actually want to do what's best, they should stop. They should look around and see who else is trying to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. And the default should be, I should try to go build something and go join that team. I should go build something within that organization to make it even more effective at addressing this issue. I know. Not, now I need to go build out my own 501c3 and go through all of this hassle and have a freestanding entity because, why? Because I wanted the title of executive director and I was too lazy to go look and see who else was doing this. And so <sighs> I think things like coronavirus that are going to watch budgets tank, staff shrink a lot, people just be in a panic state. And I think it's I think as we're seeing with our our current administration, like Mm. these things show chinks in armor of of leadership where people don't have the confidence or the competence to do this. And I think nonprofits are going to start to see this in their own place. So it it tackles the ego piece really well. Right. Like all of a sudden, these people that thought of themselves, as oh, I'm the right one to do this, are going to have a real cold wake up call (laughs) of like hey, actually, there's stuff here that you have no idea how to navigate and you are super ill-equipped to do. Um and I think that'll start to push some organizations to seek refuge within other organizations pretty quickly. So there's two elements here that I'm interested
0: in talking about separately. There's obviously the foundations uh, which are giving money to the not-for-profits. and The not-for-profits are the ones that sometimes, uh, even though they're founded with the best intentions, uh, have inefficiencies, have overlap, have redundancies. Um thinking about those individual nonprofits, uh, is there any concern amongst your clients that COVID-19 is going to be uh, sort of eclipsing all other uh, it, like philanthropic <coughs> desires or interests or, or such that are people going to care about arts programs? while COVID-19 is raging? Are people going to care about orphans in Haiti if COVID's not there? Are, are, is, so, I, is everything going to be
1: COVID-focused? I I, I think I don't think so. Okay. Um, and I don't think so for a couple of reasons. One from a, uh, um, something that I'm sort of hoping to be true, and the other one I think from what I'm actually already seeing. Um, I don't think it's going to be around long enough to totally transform... Focal areas for foundations great right if this was (laughs) a type of thing that's going to be around for two years then yes yeah and i think you see this with like influxes in certain communities of maybe the homeless community spikes in a given year and all of a sudden maybe an encampment got cleaned out by by the police and so now everyone who was homeless and sort of out i don't like the outer banks of the city they're now camping out in front of city hall. And so everybody sees them now and they go, yeah. oh my goodness, homelessness is a huge crisis. And it's like, well, the population's probably the same. You're just seeing it now. And so now it's front of mind and now you think we should deal with this, but it wasn't front of mind earlier. And so I don't think coronavirus, I don't think COVID-19, I don't think is gonna be around long enough to like keep people's attention that long, right? We're talking about a couple of months here where it's gonna be the headline. I hope so. Um, the, economic, the economic fallout's gonna be much longer than that. But uh, you know. Even the CDC, when we're talking about how long we maybe need to be, you know, holed up in our houses for, um, I don't think I've seen anything that's gone longer than like two or three months. Um, so I think like even then we'll start to see something change. And I, I don't think it will be long, around long enough or relevant long enough for it to be a, a focal point of philanthropy. That's my hope. I, the piece that I do see that gives me some hope on this is that the foundations, the um, Foundations right now in so many different parts of the the social sector, that fund nonprofits, are backing up their their grantees in amazing ways right now. Where they're coming through and going, hey, that restricted grant I gave you, it's no longer restricted. Oh. Or, hey, here's a whole new pot of, we're we're gonna overspend this year, right? They have to spend 5% of their endowment. Good foundations hopefully spend more than that. But we're seeing now more of them tapping into their endowment income, which are getting smaller, by the way, but still tapping into it and going, let's make another pot of money available for just rapid response grants to any of these organizations that need to do something. You've already gotten a grant from us. You're now eligible for more money to help you deal with whatever needs to change. You need to build a whole new IT system to move your program online. We got you. It, it, now you need it, to figure out a way to like how to, how to deliver all of this stuff because now everyone's quarantined around the country. We got you. It, it, and that, it, it, that's the kind of stuff. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Is that is that is that something that Third
0: Plateau is really pushing, or is that something that was coming? Hundred uh, percent.
1: Nice. Go Third Plateau. The, the, hey, hello. <laughs> I think the two things that we really like to see one is is you know wanting to see partnerships and like authentic, real partnerships between funders and um, and fundees, where look we're in this together. We want the exact same outcome, and so if you, one party shifts focus, the other one has to go with it or it's a bad partnership. Um, so it's unreasonable to think a nonprofit is going to shift their focus and a funder shouldn't go along with them. <laughs> Excuse me. Are you okay, um, buddy? That, that, yeah. that sounded a little COVIDy, right there. <laughs> I will say, I'm terrified of coughing in public these days. Yeah, it's you it's sh- like you a, should
0: be. It's triggering.
1: The evil, the evil eyes you get. <laughs> um, uh, the other one that's really fun that's... Um, not really related to you know to to covid but it's i think still fascinating in terms of how to think about philanthropy it's called restorative philanthropy so all of this wealth that you have how did you get this and who were the like who were the um who were the innocent bystanders that didn't benefit or that maybe were harmed as you generated this wealth
0: Mm,
1: right so if you think of a lot of wealth in the south it's not it's pretty obvious where this money came from. I was just down in Savannah well, you, for
0: an auction two weeks ago.
1: Oh I know. So what do you exactly, right? So what are you doing with this wealth to address some of the social ills that you caused to generate that wealth? That is Right. So you see a lot you see a lot of foundations in the South that have scholarship programs for you know, for African American students, first generation college goers for helping kids get into better school systems. Like it, you see a lot of this of hey, I owe this to my community. Uh, this wealth, it wasn't me, you know, usually it's usually it's generations removed, but you still have to own where that money came from. You are leading that life and having all of the opportunity you have because of something that was probably hurt somebody at some point. I, I, How do you use your wealth now to fix that?
0: Have you lost any clients uh, bringing this up? Um, and I, I imagine that if you did, um, it was, probably wasn't a client you wanted to work with in the first place, but uh, has this ever been a tough conversation to have with your clients?
1: Uh, for sure, but I do think though your point is true. Um, if a client is going to have that conversation with us and then balk, that that wouldn't have been a good partnership for us.
0: No, the, um, y- y- You don't want to see them balk at the realities of, uh, <laughs> of the foundation of their capital.
1: I mean, it's it, <laughs> At a fundamental level, we are here to help drive social change. And we are not a, uh, I'm entirely program agnostic. I do not love a certain program more than another. I love the outcomes a program produces or the outcomes a foundation's approach produces.
0: I hear you on that. Um,
1: And if they aren't able to think about it the same way of everything we do should be geared towards that social impact and how do we maximize that, that's not the right partner for us. Unless... We see an opportunity to actually help transform their way to think that way. And I don't care whether that's a nonprofit, a government entity, a foundation, a for-profit company. it is You do the social impact work because you actually care about the outcomes you're producing and how it's moving the needle and changing the lives you want to change. Um, Not because you like to run a soup kitchen and you think that's fun to do. You, You hate hunger and you want to see hunger eradicated. You happen to run a soup kitchen because it's the most effective way you've found to do that yeah, and it lines
0: up with your particular skill sets, interests, um, which you know you can sit down and and work tirelessly on behalf of
1: It's a yeah. To- is, I mean this is where I think the opportunity for us is post this chaos is we're gonna be living in a different world after this. And I'm, I think there's parts of it that are going to be scary and parts of it that are really, really exciting. Um, and I think that we have the right skill set and the right team and the right positioning to really help organizations figure out what this new normal is and how they can drive the greatest possible social impact in this new normal. And I'm, I'm excited to get to that chapter and not to the chapter where everything is uh, is kind of lonely and I'm sitting on the same couch every day and it's, uh, it's pretty. Uh, pretty <laughs> yeah, how, <laughs> how long have you been working from home? Uh, well, I broke my leg a, a week and a half ago, so since then... John, Jonathan, how did you break your leg? Sorry,
0: what? How did you break your leg, Jonathan?
1: Oh, uh, being old while going down the stairs. How, how old are you, Jonathan? Turns out that's a, I'm, I'm like 74, 75 years old now. Oh, goodness. I'm 37, which is essentially the same thing. Oh, Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan. <laughs> Walking downstairs, foot went funny, and then I wasn't going downstairs anymore. It's, and now I've got this really fun boot. I will say... Of all of the times you have to be holed up with a broken leg and on crutches, where you can't really go downstairs and get out of your house all that easily, I can't drive because it's my right foot. The rest of the world really met me where I was at and said, "You know what? We'll all work from home too." <laughs> and I really that was a, that was a solid shout out from the world. I appreciate that.
0: The the timing has has a bizarro serendipity. Uh, I have to <laughs> It <agree>. really does. <laughs> And uh, it's, been,
1: uh, it's been interesting.
0: And are they, what's, so you have, you have two young children um, and are they in school next week or has school been canceled for them?
1: Nope, uh, so I've got two kids, one in second grade and one in, uh, in uh, transition kindergarten, which is the, the year before formal kindergarten starts here. Um, and no school, it was very bizarre. The district said school last Friday was optional and they were going to be closed Monday through Wednesday to do a deep clean. Because, oh, you know, that's what you need for COVID-19. And then kids come back in and it stays clean? Come on. And they, they quickly realized how idiotic that was. And they're now closed for at least two weeks. And we're watching the CDC come out with an announcements saying they strongly recommend school shut down for at least eight weeks. So we are uh, we are prepared for a whole lot of homeschooling over the next couple of months.
0: Perhaps Sacramento City Unified School District could use uh, some wise words from Third Plateau about <laughs> or, uh, about or the, the efficacy the words <laughs> of an angry
1: parents tired of their kids being home. <laughs> well, you know what?
0: Sometimes uh, the voices of angry parents fall on deaf ears, but the the wisdom of a measured consultant who has experience in this field can help think through. The idiocy of a three-day deep cleanse followed by getting all those <laughs> uh, young kids back together in no, thirty-plus no, classrooms. Hold
1: on a second. Don't do don't, don't tell them short. It was going to be five days because they were going to take the weekend too. Ah, uh, really? Totally, totally, totally five-day deep cleanse. So uh, you know, it's really a different ballgame. <laughs> you know what? I
0: I apologize, Sacramento City Unified yeah. School District. That I, is, I, I undersold your uh, capacity for disaster preparedness
1: (laughs) I will say if you want to see not to make light of the current situation but if you want to see a totally different breed of public health emergency uh, keep kids home for eight weeks and watch what happens to their parents it's going to be rough it's going to be rough I mean is there
0: anything you know just to I've kept you here long enough but I'm, I'm so curious not having any kids myself and you know I've I've talked to my friends here in New York City who are operating out of, um, let's just say, less than 1,000 square feet apartments. Uh, what, is, what is your plan, uh, both for you and Joanna, your lovely, your lovely wife and partner, um, to, to stay sane yourselves?
1: Um, I think we are figuring that one out as it comes. Uh, tomorrow's going to be a bit of a test. The day after that will be a bit of a more test. No, we're, uh, we're, we're fortunate that Joanna is, um, she's been home with the kids for, for several years. And so, um, we don't have two jobs we're trying to navigate working remotely. Um, you know, I don't think she's fully prepared for how much of them, you know, she's aware of how much more of a load this is going to be, but both of us need to step up and take that on. It's hard Um, to step up with a broken
0: foot, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but, it, you know, I'm, 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 I'm creative and, uh, can, can make a lot of this work. <laughs> I might not be able to mean. take the trash out, but, uh, I can, you, you, know, you deserve I can work at weird me. hours Yeah, <laughs> you deserve better. <laughs> um, you know, I can work at weird hours. Um, so I can still play with the kids for, for good chunks of the day and try to take some stuff on. Um, but the idea is, most of the places that we would take them are all closed. So it's, yeah. what do you do with kids indoors or, you know, in relatively remote areas? Um, you know, you can. There's a limit to the number of nature walks you can do, and I, I think we'll we'll figure out that on Wednesday when I think the number of nature walks my kids will tolerate is over.
0: And th- there's a limit on the distance of nature walks you can take when you have a broken
1: foot, and so. Uh, yeah, those be those are nature walks for her. Um, <laughs> while I while I uh, hold the fort down here, make sure <laughs> make sure nobody comes to to loot and take all of our. Uh, I don't know. You you really are Davy Crockett. Canaan. You're really Davy Crockett, Illinois, <laughs> aren't you? You have that. You have that <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey, someone's got someone's got to hold the post, right? Well,
0: I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me on this Sunday evening, uh, and I, I hope that we get a chance to jump on a, another call in, in the coming weeks to see how all of this is uh, unfolding for you. And so, I'm sending you. Yeah, man. J- a ton of health uh, to you your wife your kids and i hope that that foot of yours heals faster than than expected
1: thank you man and you good luck in all this stuff man this is uh it's evolving hour by hour we'll, we'll figure it out it certainly is well we chewed up a good half hour chatting
0: here and i appreciate you sharing this time with me always buddy take, take care